Welcome to the East Side Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Wouldn't this be a great title for the message? You ready for it? You guys all know I enjoy titles. God is more interested in my faith than I am. Would that be good? You like it? God is more interested in my faith than I am. That is not the title of today's message. It's not it. The title of today's message is, I am more interested in my faith than God is. What? Here I go, speaking blasphemy again. I am more interested in my faith than God is. When I sent this title over to Kristen via text yesterday, she came back and said, are you sure? And I sent her a little smiley emoji, and I said, yes, I'm even more sure now because of that response. I love it. Thank you. She let me know this morning when I came in. Brandon, I do not like your title. I just want you to know that. I do not like it. And so I leaned over to Joe, and I said, if I was a betting man, which I am, I would bet you a dollar that she likes it by the end of the message. Fair enough? Here we go. We're going to talk about faith this morning. Let me define it for you. I did not go to Webster on this one. I went to Brandon on this one. Faith is believing that something that we cannot see is true. Did you guys get it? Did you hear it? Faith is believing that something that we cannot see is true. Right? And I want you to hear two things this morning as we start. The first thing I want you to hear is faith is a response. Everybody say that. Faith is a response. Now, this is good because faith is not ambiguous. Faith is not mysterious. Faith does not just float around, right? Faith is a response. This is so key for us to understand this morning. Do you guys all know what the new Camaro looks like? I really like it. I would love to have one. That's just me being candid, right? Favorite car on the road right now. I would love to have a new Camaro. Now, if I said, I'm believing God for a new Camaro, that would not be faith. Right? And here's why. Because the Lord has not revealed that a new Camaro is a part of his provision for me. Right? That would just be me dreaming about having a new Camaro. Right? So think of faith as a barnacle, if you will. Like barnacle, ocean barnacle. Right? It needs a boat to attach itself to. Okay? And what that boat looks like is a promise or a picture, or a statement, okay? Who have I lost so far? You guys with me? If you're with me, say you're with me. Good. Very good. Romans 10, 17. I'm going to turn there. It'll be up on the screen for you. You can turn there. I'm just going to say it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing... Ah, there we go. I love it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. All right, now I want to be not as spiritual and more natural here for a second and just bring your attention to the part that says faith comes by hearing, okay? It's the promise that changes everything. It's the statement that changes everything. It's the picture that changes everything. It's the hearing. That's all hearing when that comes. Now, when that comes, a process begins of you and I determining, are we going to believe that right there or not? Okay? You with me? 
Let me demonstrate this. How many of you would believe me? Man, I am loud this morning. That's because I'm passionate. It's because I know I've heard from the Lord. How many of you would believe me if I said, there is a five-foot-tall stuffed bear in our church lobby right now? Show of hands. Okay, I've got 12. 12 in the room would believe me if I said, there's a five-foot-tall stuffed bear in our church lobby Right now, Brian, you can go ahead. Let me introduce you guys to goldfish. Everyone say, hi, goldfish. Goldfish is the fourth child in the Sharp household. He used to live in AK. Now he lives at the Sharp house. He lives in my living room. We watch TV on him. We have quiet time on him. We cuddle him. We wrestle with him. He is a permanent. You can stay up here, Bob. He's not going to stay long. Brian, stay. It's okay. I'm moving. I understand. Permanent resident of the Sharp household right there. Goldfish. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, Goldfish. Can you guys give Goldfish a hand? Now, (laughs) by the way, Nathan Barefoot, your impression of me, priceless. I love you, buddy. That was so great. Nathan was doing impressions of me in the AK meeting yesterday, which they were texting to me, and uh, they were worth a million bucks. Now, when I told you there was a five-foot-tall stuffed bear in our lobby, something began on the inside of you, this process of running through. Is Brandon insane, or is he telling the truth? Yeah, I kind of trust him, but he might be just being an idiot or whatever, so I really don't know if I should trust him or not, but 12 of you for some strange reason, which I can't identify with, said, yep, there definitely is. And those 12 of you, for some strange reason that I can't identify, had faith in that promise. Right? Do you see it? Did you get it? Did you see it? Did you get it? Good. Turn to Hebrews 11. Let me talk to you a little bit more about this process. This process that we call faith, because it is a process, okay? I'm going to be in verse 13, and I'm going to move. These all died, talking about the fathers of the faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off. One, right? Having seen them afar off, were assured by them. Two, and embraced them, confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims in the land, right? One, they saw them. Two, they were assured of them. Three, they embraced them. That is the process of faith. And it doesn't really matter as far as that process goes, whether we're having interactions with the Lord or whether we're having interactions with other people. The process is the same. You see it? You go through this process of being assured by it or not being assured by it. And if you are assured by it, you embrace it as reality. You guys agree? marketing agencies have faith, at least from a natural standpoint, figured out, right? Think about the Axe commercials. Have you guys seen the Axe commercials? Ridiculous. You know the one where the guy uses Axe and he's in his car and all the women are running to his car to, like, overtake him because he's so hot because he uses Axe? That one? What are they hoping? They're hoping that you buy into this promise, which is completely asinine, that if you use Axe body wash, you'll be more attractive to the opposite sex, the female race, in this case. That's, that's what they're doing, buying into it. They want you to buy into something, right? How about Nike 
Nike equipment. Now I'm going to mention golf because I do in every message, right? Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy use Nike golf clubs and Nike golf balls in hopes of what? Why do they pay them millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars a year to do that? Because millions and millions and millions and millions of people are seeing them use Nike products, and they're going, I wonder if I play Nike, if I might play golf a little bit more like Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy. Faith. They're tapping into how faith works in that process. Okay? Now, when it comes to the Lord, the good news this morning is that he not only gives us the promise, he not only gives us the revelation, he not only gives us the picture, he assures us. You guys see that? Ephesians 2.8. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Right? So faith is this process of becoming convinced, this process of becoming assured. Secondly, the second thing you need to hear is faith is a gift. Now, in my opinion, humble opinion, that is a game changer. Faith being a gift. Faith not being of ourselves. By grace, we've been saved through faith. And that, it's not about you, Brandon. It's not from you. It's not about you, Pastor Alex. That's not from you. You don't create that. You don't own that. That's a gift from God. Right? And this has several implications on our end of faith being a gift. The first is our posture. You can't force a gift. You can't manipulate a gift. Right? You can't expedite a gift. You can't control a gift. All you can do with a gift is put yourself in a position to receive. I love this about the Lord because so many times in our pursuit, and I'm all about pursuit, and I love that verbiage of pursuit, right? Sometimes where I think we can get off a little bit is this idea that we, we, we don't have God's attention and we need to get God's attention. It's not the case. His eyes are ever upon us. That's not, I don't have to fight for your attention, Right? It's true. His eyes are always on us. What we have to do is allow ourselves to be engaged by him and to get under that flow and to get under that revelation and to put ourselves in a position to receive and allow him to assure. The second game-changing thing about faith being a gift, there's no room for pride, y'all. We get so stinking prideful over our faith, Right? Well, I believe, you don't believe this? That congregation doesn't believe bliss? This is the things that come out of our mouth reveals that we so often are in a place of pride. And where does that come from? First of all, not understanding authorship of faith, that it's a gift. What does Hebrews 12, 2 say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If he starts it and he's in the middle and he finishes it, then I'm just here going, man, Lord, wow. The faith that I have, the faith that you've given me, the revelation that you've given me, the ability that you've given me on the inside to believe that, to be convinced by that, to embrace that. That's all from you. That's from you. That's through you. That's to you. So there's no room for pride. You guys see that? So huge. So easy to get so proud of the faith that we have when we think it's about us. Right? This is the second reason that we get prideful on our faith, because we don't understand the intent behind it, and we don't understand why the Lord gives it to us. So we have much more of a trophy mentality when it comes to faith. Let me explain that. 
I know I'm moving fast. You guys can blame the Lord. He gave me a lot. The Lord really wants to rearrange the way that we think about faith this morning. And a part of what he wants to rearrange is that we see faith as the end goal. So oftentimes, I'm speaking in a lot of generalities this morning, okay? I've seen faith as the end goal so oftentimes. Now, what do I mean by that? Brian, you can come up. We have the ladder and the chairs. Thank you so much. What do I mean by that? Right? The Lord gives me revelation. And then I'm pondering that. And as I'm pondering that, the Spirit of God is faithful to come alongside. Now, whether it's about his character, his nature, his promises, his timing, his plan, whatever it is. Right? And he brings me to a place. Look at me. Don't look at Brian. We'll get to it in just a second. He brings me to a place of being convinced by what he shared with me. Right? Being persuaded by it to the point where I embrace it and I go, even though I can't see this, I know it's real. Right? I know this is true. And so oftentimes we get right there and we go, man, I'm just going to, we camp out. We go, I'm just going to enjoy that. I'm going to feel great about that. I've heard the Lord. I've allowed myself to be completely convinced that this is true. And we stop. Trophy mentality goes in our spiritual trophy case and collects dust right there. You guys see that? Okay. Now this ladder, you're going to have to engage your imaginations with me a little bit. All right. I know you guys all think I'm going to walk across this, and I was at one time, but my wife taught me out of it. This is the ladder that goes to our girl's bunk bed at home. But in our minds, we are going to imagine, this is a very imaginative sermon today, we are going to imagine that it is one of the ladders over the several hundred feet deep crevices or crevasses. I'm going to speak to both of you guys, however you say it, on Mount Everest, right? So if you're going to go and you're going to climb Mount Everest, Mount Everest, you are going to encounter many of these ladders. Sometimes it'll just be one ladder. Sometimes it'll be three or four ladders strung together that are going over these. I'm just going to finish with crevasses. Matt LaPointe, what's the right way to say that word? Crevices or crevasses? Either one. Perfect. All right. I'm going to go with crevasses because it makes me sound more sophisticated. So, you got to walk across these guys, several hundred feet ladders that aren't always horizontal like this. Sometimes they go up, sometimes they go at a down slant like that. Walk across these with spikes on your feet, right? And the Lord wants to get me from one side to the other and you, Right? And so he so faithfully convinces me, Brandon, it'll hold. It'll hold. And I go through that process with God. And eventually, I believe it. Yeah, it'll hold. And then I camp out. And I find a comfy chair and I kick my feet up. And I feel great about the faith that I have. That it'll hold. I feel great about the fact that I've heard the Lord, that I've been convinced, that I've embraced the promise, and that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it'll hold. And that's all that ever happens. <laughs> and the Lord, that's what I mean when I say we view faith as the end goal. We 
we've made, in church today, we've made the amount of faith that a person has the key identifying mark of how spiritual they are. Oh, you have so much faith. So much faith. Right? And this is not an anti-faith message. Faith is critical to our walk with the Lord. But sometimes what that mentality does is it creates a, thank you so much, Brian. You can grab that. Thanks, buddy. What that does oftentimes is creates a group of people that become faith hungry. And their sole focus is, I need more faith. I have to get more faith, right? I have to acquire more faith, get more faith. It's like these companies that become acquisition happy. Got to acquire, 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 acquire. And they just swallow up other companies. We have to have more faith, more faith, more faith. And we just swallow up faith. The problem is sometimes we can become faith fat. Another one of those things that's not okay to say in church. We can become faith fat. When we view faith as the end goal, and we kick back our feet, and we feel good about it, right? Let me tell you how the Lord sees faith. As a tool in our hands, as a halfway point, as a means to an end. Isn't that good? That's revelatory, y'all. That will change your life. Faith is a halfway point. Could you imagine a marathoner stopping and having their, their end-of-the-road celebration halfway there? We do it all the time. Faith is a tool in our hands. Faith is a means to an end. So let me answer the question, why does the Lord give us faith? The Lord does not give us faith so that we can have faith and feel good about it and puff out our chest. The Lord gives us faith to empower us to action. That is why we have faith. The Lord gives us faith to empower us to action. He gives us faith with purpose. He gives us faith with expectation. He gives us faith so we can bring his kingdom to earth. So we need to shift our view of faith's success this morning to how much we have to how much we're using. Is that fair? Oh my goodness, y'all, that's so Huge. Turn over to Matthew 25. Now we're going to get into that, all right? I've been setting it up. Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talents, all right? I'm not going to read it to you for time's sake. I'm going to talk you through it real quick. Be up there. You can read it along with me if that won't confuse you. But let me just talk you through it. There's a master. He has servants in his house. He, he's getting ready to go on a journey. He delivers his goods to them. Talents. Now, talents is a measure of money, right? A lot of money. That's all you really need to hear. I'm not, spe I'm not specific on what the exact measurement is. We read a couple of things. One said one talent was 75 pounds of gold or silver. 75 pounds of gold or silver. Another said that it was 6,000 drachna. A drachna is one day's wage. 6,000 daily wages, right? In U.S. today, that's going to be somewhere around $360,000. So let's just go that we're talking about somewhere on the measure of over a quarter of a million. Would have been one, right? And he gives these to his servants. To one he gives five, to another he gives two, to the third he gives one, right? I think there was instruction that happened at that point as well. The story doesn't capture it, but common sense does, right? And, and as we go through the story, we can see that that instruction probably was take this, do something with it, make more. 
right? Make more. Because we can see it that they go to work. Two of them go to work. The one that got five, the one that got two. They go. They buy. They sell. They trade. They double what they got. One that has five gets ten. The one that has two gets four. When the master comes back, it says that he's settled accounts with them, right? Meaning, he said, what did you do with what I gave you? And the one that had five said, I doubled it. The one that had two said, I doubled it. He said, well done. It's exactly what you should have done, right? You've been faithful with little. I love that God calls that amount of money little. Let me give you much, right? Let me give you much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, what the one did, because he was afraid, he hid it. He buried it in the ground. When his master came back, he said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you don't sow, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. I was afraid, so I buried it in the ground. Have what's yours. And he gave it back. Now, this is a parable, which means it is a natural story to represent spiritual realities. Every time you see parable, you can take that to the bank. Natural story to represent spiritual realities. Okay? It's a story about money. I want to tie it to faith. Because he gave his resources, he gave his money to these individuals, and he's given us faith. Right? Now, The first thing I want you to understand about this story is that they all had talents, right? I want to reinforce the point I just made. They all had talents. Now, when we get faith, when we get that revelation, when we get convinced by God that it's true, that's having the talent. That's having faith. That's having God deliver that to us. Do you guys see that? There was no party that went on when that happened, right? There was an opportunity to do something with it. When we get faith, y'all, that's what it is. It's an opportunity to do something with it. That's what I mean when I say halfway point, tool in our hands, means to an end. Right? That's what I mean when I say I'm more interested in my faith than God is because I have a wrong perception of it. To me, it's an end-all, be-all. To him, it's a way to get somewhere. Okay? Now, the servant... That the Lord, our Lord, who this master represents, he said, you're wicked, you're lazy, and you're unprofitable. Right? Those are not my words. It's red letter. You're wicked, you're lazy, and you're unprofitable. If you knew this to be true about me, you should have at least put my money in the bank so it would have gained interest. Right? Now, the takeaway from this story, y'all, is that when the Lord gives us something, he gives with expectation. He wants a return on his investment. And he makes no apologies for it. Right? This is not a heavy message. This is, this is an encouraging message. This is a life-changing message. This is a let's shift the way we think message. So that when the Lord comes back, we're not empty-handed. And we can have something to give him. Right? Because if we do nothing with our faith, we're going to be just like this servant. And we're going to say, this is what you gave me. Here it is back to you. I don't have anything else. Because I was afraid. You guys need to get this. I don't have anything else. I didn't buy. I didn't sell. I didn't trade. I didn't pray. I didn't reach out. I didn't take chances. I didn't put myself out there with my faith. Because I was afraid I would fail. How often do we do nothing with our faith? 
because either we're too busy being proud of it or we're too afraid to fail. And what we can learn from this servant is that the very thing he feared, similar to Job, the very thing he feared became his reality. I didn't want to lose it, so I did nothing with it. And the Lord said, take it away and give it to the one that has 10. This is the sobering part of this message. If we do nothing because we're afraid, right? And I know you've had these thoughts because I've had these thoughts. I don't want to put myself out there because what if God doesn't deliver? And what if I lose my faith because he didn't deliver? And I thought he was something that he didn't prove himself to be. That could be damaging to my faith. That's exactly the mentality that this servant had. I don't want to buy and sell and trade because what if I lose it? He ended up losing it anyway. If we do nothing according to this story, we might lose it anyway. You guys hear that? That is good. That is good, y'all. Faith is a stewardship. That's what you just heard, right? That's what you just heard. My last main point here is the condition of our faith. Turn over to James. Based on how we do what we just read about, our faith has a condition. Dead or alive? Everybody say that. Dead or alive? James 2. I hope this is helping you. James 2.14. What does it profit, brethren, if someone says he has faith, doesn't have works? Can faith save him? What's the answer? No. No. Say it like we believe it. What does it profit? Nothing. Can that kind of faith save him? No. No. Let's keep going. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Nothing. This is why faith is not the end goal. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. There you go, Robert Britt. Robert Britt said, if I were to have one scripture that I would post in my office, this would be it. You believe. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now, let me tell you what the demons don't have. The demons do not have any agreeable action with the character, nature, promise, plan of God. The demons do not have any agreeable action, but they believe, right? So the Bible says they have faith. I'm going to agree and say they have faith. I feel like so oftentimes we get in this this mindset of trying to figure out who has faith, who doesn't have faith. Is what I say faith really faith in my life? Let's just settle it. Yes, it's faith. If you say that God has convinced you of something about himself or his plan or his his nature or his people, you have faith. We can be confident right there. The question is, is it dead or alive? Right? That's the question. Is it dead or alive? (laughs) 
Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, I'm in 20, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? As the body, get this, y'all, as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now let me tell you what the biggest aversion is, huge aversion right here, to really buying into this and really believing this. Right? And I'm the same way. We go, I can't buy into the fact that my works really play into this thing because my works never measure up. They'll never be perfect. I'll never get them right. I'll never do it right every time, and that's not worthy of God. So works can't really play into this thing. Am I alone right there? Talk to me. Am I alone? No. That's how we think. Good news. Our faith will never be perfect either. I hope I just liberated you, right? Our faith will never be perfect either. You know why? Because it involves me. It involves me, which means it's always going to be lacking a little bit. It's never going to be perfect. So why don't we lean into the finished work of Jesus on the cross with not only our faith, but also our works? Yes. yes. That's liberating. It's freedom. It's freedom. The body without the spirit is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, our body cannot be separated from our spirit. Would you agree with that? By the way, this word spirit in the Greek, it's pneuma, right? It's where we get our word pneuma, pneumatic, right? Air, breathing, if you will. What happens if the breath in my lungs, all of it escapes my body right now? Right? I'm dead. Sometimes I feel like it's going to happen in worship because I can't stop myself. And sometimes I get lightheaded and almost fall over. But if all the air escapes my body, I'm going down in a hurry. I'm dead. Now, question for you. Is my body still my body on the floor? Yes. Right? It's still my body, but it's lifeless. It's dead. So if someone says, I have faith, great. I believe you. I believe you. Is it dead or alive? Right? Because your faith without works is still faith. It's just dead faith. Does that help? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's so good. Y'all, I am fired up about this message. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> the Lord has not called us to faith. I'm making all kinds of statements here, Brandon. The Lord has not called us to faith. He's called us to living faith. He's called us to faith that's alive. He gives us faith to empower us to action. I would even submit this to you. He's made you a person of faith so that you'll become a person of action, right? Action is the end goal. Action is the prize. Now, as I close, you don't have to come up yet, but I am working toward a close. That's my first warning. How are we doing? Two-minute warning. How are we doing? Right? Don't lose me. Stay with me, guys. How are we doing? How are we doing? All right? If you agree with the statement that I read, say amen. 
God forgives me and calls me to forgive others. God wants me to prosper. I can come to know God by his word, prayer, and worship. The Lord wants me healed and healthy. He wants others healed and healthy. Jesus died so I could live free. Being at church is important for me. I'm a minister of the gospel. It's my job to pray for and share the gospel with other people. Amen. Amen. I am called to give and serve my church. It's a lot of amens. There's a lot of faith in this place. Because you believe God forgives you, calls you to forgive others, do you have a righteous view of yourself? Have you worked through those forgiveness issues to the point of praying over those that have hurt you and misused you and praying God's blessing into their lives? Because God wants to prosper you financially, are you asking him to do that? Are you looking for those additional opportunities to earn income? Are you managing your money wisely? Are you making good financial decisions? Because you believe that you can come to know him by the prayer, word, and worship, are you spending the time? Are you spending the time right there? Because Jesus died so that you could be free. Are you refusing to tolerate sin in your life? Are you choosing not to give up on that addiction? Are you choosing not to give into the lie that says this is who you'll always be? You'll never be able to get rid of it. Because you believe Jesus died to set you free. Are you going after that? Sin, fear, anxiety, depression, freedom. Right there. You say you believe. I believe you. Because you believe that being at church is important, are you consistent? It's important for you. It's important for them. Are you consistent? Or is it just when it's convenient, just when you feel like it, just when it's not a burden? Because you believe that you're a minister of the gospel, are you really reaching out? Are you really praying with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers? Are you really telling others about Jesus, are you asking the Lord on your way to work? Today, Lord, today, open a door. Make an opportunity. Create an opportunity for me to represent you, and I'll do it. Create an opportunity for you to speak through me, and I'll do it. Create an opportunity for me to show someone how incredibly you love them, and I'll do it. Because I believe that I'm a minister of the gospel. Because you believe that you're called to serve and support this church. Are you serving? Golly, this is real, isn't it? Are you serving? Where are you serving? Are you giving? Faithfully? Consistently? What God asks? Because you believe it. Here's the last. Michael, I'm closing. God's mercies are new every single day. Every single morning. Listen, y'all, the Lord gave me this message because for me and because for you, there's gaps. There's gaps there. There's areas where our faith is dead. You probably just heard one. You probably said, yep, you got me there. That's dead faith. And it existed, and he wants us to move past it. He wants us to move past the pride. He wants us to move past the fear of failure, and he wants us to move to action. His mercies are new every single 
day. So whatever the gap, be encouraged. It's good news. Whatever the gap, be encouraged. Our faith comes from God. It's a gift. He gives it to us to equip us for action. That's why we have it. It's why we have it. He expects a return on this investment that he's made in us. We are not only called to faith, we are called to works. We are called to living faith. Living faith. <laughs> Genesis 2, 7 says this. The Lord formed Adam out of the dust. Now what did he have when he formed Adam out of the dust? Somebody tell me what he had. A corpse. What a great answer. Lord, it was a beautiful corpse. I mean, you just made it. No offense, but it was lifeless. He was lifeless. And then the Lord breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and Adam became a living being. This is what happens when we add works to our faith. We breathe life into it. We breathe life into it. That's what I want our commitment to be this morning. You may have noticed when you came in, there was a balloon on your seat. You probably did. You've probably been playing with it all service. You can take that out again. I know you've already been playing with it. Listen, y'all, this is going to seem silly, but there's a good heart in it. If you want to make this commitment, I'm making this commitment to the Lord today. If you want to make this commitment with me, no more dead faith. Lord, no more dead faith. I'm done with dead faith. I'm going to make sure that I give you return on what you've given me. I'm going to make sure that my faith is alive. I'm going to act. You've made me a person of faith so that I'll become a person of action. Michael's going to play us this song. If you want to make that commitment to the Lord during this song I want you to blow up your balloon if you don't don't blow up your balloon and then I'm going to come back up and then we're going to pray and we're going to commit ourselves to God Amen Amen Once again thank you for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast if you have any questions or need more information please visit our website eastsidechurch.co 